Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome, fellow explorers. Good to have you back. We are Jonathan Robinson, and I'm here with my trusty sidekick. Brian Tom O'Connor. And I'm feeling good. It's a sunny day in the midst of a pandemic. How are you doing in New York, Brian? I'm also feeling good, but it's not a sunny day. I'm glancing outside. The snow is coming down sideways, but it's uh -huh. real pretty. Uh-huh. No matter what the weather is outside, the weather inside is always sunny, warm, peaceful, and beautiful, which is what our <laughs> podcast is about. That's exactly right. Um, unfortunately, inside of our minds, it is often uh, not so peaceful. It's often very separate and victimizing and polarizing and all the things that we got going in the world. And that's the topic that we have today, which is overcoming the dualistic mind and everything about how we see the world through our dualistic mind and maybe how to overcome that. When I think of or saying that, uh, Brian, what occurs to you? The first thing that comes to me is that we notice that we have this sportsification of politics out there where my team is good and, and, and anything that anybody says on the other team is bad. And it's, and it's quite, um, toxic. Um, but also, um, just simply our language is set up to make distinctions between things and our survival actually depends upon it. But when we look beyond the distinction between things that we find in our mind and see, look inside and see the unity of our experience and connect with the unity of all things, that that's when we can start to notice the peace and the joy and the happiness that's actually our true nature. Okay, you pretty much summed it up. I think we're done now. <laughs> okay, um, see you next uh, week. Yes, actually, there's a lot to unpack there. I think so. Um, when we came upon this idea for this episode, I started to see, okay, how does my mind create a dualistic world? Because in reality, every, there, are no, there are no borders around countries. You know, when you look at space, everything is just one thing. And human beings are all interconnected. I once read that every human being on Earth currently has a million atoms in them that were in Jesus Christ. That's how interconnected we are. Yeah. So science can tell us that there's this thing called entanglement theory, and every particle of the universe seems to be somehow connected to every other particle in the universe, and that's physics. So how is it that we see everything and every person as totally separate? That's quite a trick. Bravo, God, for doing that one, because it really took a, uh, a very strong, powerful mind to create such a overwhelming sense of separateness and dualism. And as I've been looking at my mind, which, you know, evolved from animals and, and such over many millions of years, it had 
definite evolutionary value to see things in terms of us and them. How can I escape my enemies? How can I see those people as enemies? How can I destroy my enemies? Uh, what's good? What's bad? What's right? What's wrong? All about religion and things like that. And all of these things are products of our mind. They're not really in the world. My dog doesn't think things are you know, right and wrong. But our minds are set to look at everything through these lens, like we're wearing dualistic colored glasses. So everything looks to us like it's separate. And it's quite a job to overcome this thing because we live largely through our mind, especially in the West. And uh, part of our podcast is how do you get over that overwhelming amount of stimuli that hits us as everything is separate rather than everything is one. That's my rant. <laughs> That's a pretty good rant. But it's so true that the mind does make distinctions between things. The mind is the organ of separation. The mind is a tool that we have to help the individual body survive, to distinguish between food and poison, for example you know, in the very, very early stages of development. But the mistake that we make is that we identify with our minds. We're not our minds. Our minds are a thing that we have, or a thing that our body has to help, to help survive. But when we look deeper into everything and realize that there is nothing that's not connected to everything else. I mean, the air that we breathe, we share. We, we can't exist without it. It's in the atmosphere. We breathe in, we breathe out. There's constant chemical interaction between our skin and the atmosphere. Everything, I sort of think of it as the universe is really just patterns of energy, waving, arising and falling in different temporary forms. And we look at the temporary forms and we see them as separate things, but we forget that they are as connected to each other as individual waves are to each other in the ocean. Well said. So we have a politics that's based on dualism. We have religion that is usually based on dualism. You know, you're right, you're wrong, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. We have relationships. You know, I do a lot of relationship counseling. And when people come to me, no one says to me, uh, we're both doing stuff that's not good for the oneness of our relationship. I've never heard anybody say that. They go, this is what's wrong with my partner, fix them. I'm completely innocent. And that's how it looks to couples a lot of the time. So we have all this input, all this training, all this education, all this brainwashing based on seeing things in terms of separateness. So how do we overcome all that? Because even our religion, which has been, you know, an approach to oneness has been overtaken by this separateness. And, you know, I, I, I picture that we have... 50,000 pounds on a scale called separateness. And we have a feather on the other side of the scale called oneness. And we need to be able to put a little bit more weight on that oneness side, uh, whether it be through books that we read about oneness or saints that we read about, how they live their life, or just 
focusing more on love because really love is another code word for oneness, don't you think? Absolutely. The very nature of love, especially unconditional love, which is the only real genuine love, is based on on that. As a matter of fact, some teachers have defined love as the lack of the sense of separation. Mm -hmm. And I think that I love your scale analogy, by the way. <laughs> you know, how many pounds of separation and a feather of, of, of oneness. Um, but what we have to do really is moment by moment, every day, as often as we can, turn our attention from the weighty side of the scale to the feather side of the scale and realize that the weighty side, it's just imagined weight. It's not real. It's just yeah. in the mind. It's nothing that actually exists in reality. And when we actually turn our attention, and the best way to do it is, you know, as we've said umpteen times on this show, is to turn your attention from the content of awareness to awareness itself. Because anything that's in awareness, like a sound is in awareness, and our body sensations are in awareness. Are they in two different awarenesses? No, it's the same. And when we look at awareness, we see that there aren't seams. There aren't division lines. There isn't, there aren't borders. And we see like, you know, the four, the four corners where Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Nevada, I'm not sure I got the exact four states right, meet because the borders are, are, are perpendicular, you know, lines. There's no such thing as a border between Utah and Colorado. It's imaginary. When you stand there and you have one foot in one, state and another foot in another state, are you actually standing in two separate things, entities? No, it's just political lines made up by people in our own minds. And when you expand that concept to all of reality, that's all reality is. It's just like, like you get on a Zoom call and you see, you know, 15 different squares with different people. But if you run your finger along that screen, it's just one screen. Yeah. Although, you know, just to make things interesting, before we start talking about our oneness and singing Kumbaya together, Brian, um, <laughs> I will disagree with you about something. And that's part of what du dualism is kind of exciting. You know, if we were all just one blob, we wouldn't get to experience the world the way we do as separate human beings. So there's some joy, there's some excitement, there's some fun in, um, in dualism. You know, sex yeah. is about two different energies coming together, you know, that's right. So so uh, it's not that dualism is a bad thing. It's a it is only one wing of the two winged plane, and it it misses the larger picture. You know, which dualism can be said to come from our mind, whereas oneness comes from our heart. And this culture that we live in could really use some more heart. It's almost like heart stuff doesn't have the entertainment value. So as you were talking, I was thinking, you said that the best way to experience a oneness is to realize that we're all part of one awareness. But I would say that there's a lot of different ways to experience that oneness. One way is through awareness. Another way could be through like bhakti yoga, devotional yoga, or it could be through the love of a parent for its child. 
that I think everybody has to find their way to oneness. And the more ways you have to oneness, the better. You know, if if your way to oneness is psychedelics and sex and devotional singing, more power to you. The advantage of awareness is that everybody has access to it. It's always around. You don't have to search for it. You don't have to pay for it. And it's uh, if you know the right methods, it's very easy and simple. Whereas some ways people have to oneness might involve traveling 10 hours to a specific forest and they feel one with nature. And that's not very convenient for our day-to-day lives. That's true. It's not convenient for our day-to-day lives. But you mentioned something that I think is convenient for our day-to-day life. When you talked about separation being in the mind and oneness being in the heart. And that's something that we can do moment, we can do it at, at any time of the day. We can, we can say, okay, there's the mind. Thank the mind for its opinion. Turn your attention to the heart. Look at the heart. Sense how your heart feels and imagine what it's like to be in the heart of others looking out through their eyes. Yeah. So, yes, you're right. There are tons of ways you can do it. There's not just one. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies, which, you know, is an interesting practice. Um, I'm I'm trying the practice right before that, which is not to dislike my enemies, (laughs) (laughs) hoping that I move up the scale to, you know, someday loving them. And not that I have enemies, but, you know, like when it comes to things like uh, the politics. Now, I must say to all our listeners that I totally agree with your politics. So we're on the same team. (laughs) Um, But it's hard when you see people do things that you think are disruptive or bad for society or the planet to then feel not make them an enemy not blame them not make them wrong but to see them really as a different aspect of yourself as ramdas used to say there's only one of us here in drag and when i see somebody say like uh i was at the gym earlier today and you're supposed to wear a mask at the gym And there were some people who were in the sauna and they didn't wear a mask. You you know how this goes nowadays, you know. And the first thing was like, how dare they? And then I started to see that, you know, in reality, they're kind of like me, that part of me that is kind of irresponsible and doesn't want to follow rules, you know, like the teenage part of me. And I fell into the burden of what's like carrying that around. Like nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I didn't feel separate from that person anymore. I felt more like compassion, like, wow, it's hard to walk around with that. Nobody's going to tell me what to do attitude. So a tool I sometimes use to get over my separateness from people is I'll ask, how is what they're doing? Like what I do, maybe not in that moment, but, you know, we're all, we all have different parts of ourselves. Some of them are loving. Some of them are, are like teenagers. Some of them are like little kids. And sometimes it's me acting like a little kid, and sometimes it's someone else. But we're all basically part of this larger thing called the human race that has a lot of good things, a lot of not so good things. But when you, you feel like you're part of humanity, that can overcome the separateness of feeling like 
they're bad and I'm good. I think that's so great that I have to repeat the key phrase in that. What what was it? It's 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 really perfect. How is what they're doing like what I'm doing? Is that how you put no, it? How is what they're doing like something that I do? How is what they're doing like something that I do? What a great phrase to think about. You're really asking yourself, what is it like to be inside the other? And what are the similarities? Uh, that's so great. I have one of my games is that I play when I walk around in the street is first I start with noticing what's looking out through my eyes as I walk around. And then as I pass strangers, I don't necessarily make eye contact with them. I just look at them and imagine looking out through their eyes, just mm. walking around. Imagine looking out through their eyes. And the thing about it is that when you really look at what's looking, you realize that it is clear. It has no actual qualities of its own because all qualities appear in it. And when you realize that because what's looking out through my eyes has no qualities, what's looking out through your eyes has no qualities, they are actually identical. So what's mm -hmm. looking out through my eyes is identical to what's looking out through yours. And then it's just a small step to say, not only they, not only are they identical, but they're the same. It's mm -hmm. the universe looking out through billions of eyes, just like the phrase that you quoted from Ram Dass, we're all God in drag. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to overcome this sense of separateness. I'm thinking, you know, Jesus said, love your enemies, but there's a big emphasis on forgiveness. And some people really get into forgiveness as a way of getting to oneness or seeing service as a possibility. You know, uh, Ram Dass's guru, a guy named Neem Kroli Baba, when he was asked, when Ram Dass asked him, how can I know God? His answer was serve people. And that's not something that's talked about a lot. You know, we're into meditation and other things. But before the pandemic, I spent a couple of years volunteering in prisons. And before that, I had done other service projects. I must say, although I'm a somewhat selfish person, whenever I would do this, there'd be like walls in the bricks in the wall of separateness would slowly come down. And there'd be great joy every now and then. You know, I'm I'm the guy coming into the prison teaching meditation, and you know, there'd be 20, 30 guys listening. At some point we'd be laughing and just joking, and there wouldn't be that duality like I'm the lucky one and they're the unlucky one. It'd just be guys hanging out. And it was really fun and really precious to them and to me to have that wall of separation come down. I think one of the joys in life, if you look at it, is going from separateness to oneness, which we obviously do or hopefully do like during sexuality, uh, but also in friendships and moments. Sometimes, you know, if you have those sweet moments with your with your parents, you transcend that relationship of father-son or whatever it is. And meditation, going from our separate sense of self to our unified sense of self, that 
a lot of life is really how good are you at overcoming this sense of dualism, which is a nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> I love that story about prison. And I also love uh, when you talked about um, parents, because, you know, I grew up with a chip on my shoulder about my parents. I was really mad at them. And I thought that they failed me and did a bad job. And, you know, and as I get older, I realize how ridiculous that is. Because I imagine being a parent. I am not a parent. I have to confess. So I, I'm really only talking about my imagination. But imagine raising a kid. Imagine how much energy it takes. I mean, they are just human beings trying to do their best. And when, you know, when, when we get over this, I'm the kid, they're the parent, they're supposed to do this for me, and they didn't, you know, when we just let go of that and realize they're just human beings trying to do their best. Mm -hmm. the, the, the idea of parent and child separation starts to dissolve. And, and, and you can actually extend that to everybody. Um, if you imagine everyone is actually doing their best. Mm -hmm. And that, that's an example of a concept that kind of joins all the disparate parts. You know, like you could say there's individuals, there's black, white, uh, brown, all these different races, but they're all part of a bigger thing called humanity. Or everybody has different motivations, but they're all part of a bigger motivation called trying to do your best in the moment. And, you know, there's all these different countries, but they're all part of a bigger thing called planet Earth. And when we can use our mind to see the bigger underlying thing, gluing together all these separate parts, that's a way of using the mind actually to create or to overcome the sense of oneness, uh, overcome the sense of duality. That's true. You can zoom out and get the big picture, and you can use your mind to do that. And when you do that, you see how interconnected everything is and how similar things are. I mean, I, I, I read recently in an article about races that that genetically, the idea of separate races doesn't really exist. Right. You know, this is just some classification we have in our mind. I mean... The fundamental, the fundamentalness of humanity, the fundamental unity of humanity, I think, is, is the truth. I also think it's the truth of the fundamental unity of all beings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, once again, our mind is very good at uh, creating these separations. And one of the techniques I use is, uh, I'll just kind of laugh on and say, there's my mind creating separation again. Yeah. You know, like, I like the analogy of the one body. You know, we don't, when our toe uh, is hurt, we don't get angry at our toe because we realize the toe is part of our body. And when people do stupid things, we really shouldn't get angry at them. Their, their whole past that led to that behavior and they're really part of the one body of humanity. And if we can kind of see things as the underlying unity, like the one body analogy, it helps us to 
look at the world not so much through these dark dualistic glasses, but more through lighter glasses like the interconnected lens. And I think it's important that if you want to overcome this feeling of separation and duality, that we have many ways of putting more weight on the oneness scale. And that can be, you know, through meditation or through spiritual practices or uh, seeing the underlying unity, all these different practices. But it's really important to do that consistently because you can't spend all your life seeing separation and then expect to experience oneness in meditation. It doesn't work that way. That's right. You really have to practice it. And you don't necessarily, I mean, I think meditation is excellent. And, and really, there are some really wonderful techniques that will help develop that. But outside of that, you can remind yourself whenever you are feeling that kind of anger or anxiety or mistrust or even hatred of the other, you can remind yourself to say, well, wait a minute. What if I think of it as one hand? Mm -hmm. you no, know, I'm this finger. That person's the other finger. The other person is the third finger. We're all just different fingers, but we're all on one hand. Or, or waves in the ocean is, is a beautiful analogy. So we... We, Locke Kelly has a phrase, we remember to remember mm -hmm. many times throughout the day to shift attention from the part of the mind that wants to make distinctions between things and wants to create a tribe, me against them, and notice that there is actually something already there within us that is already distinction-free, that is already forgiving that is already loving, that is already allowing everything. And that's awareness itself, like a mirror that doesn't decide, I'm going to reflect this cup of coffee, but not that pencil on the table. I don't like pencils. Anything <laughs> that appears before it, it reflects. Awareness is like that. So it's not like we have to somehow become, I have to train myself to like things I don't like or to agree with people I don't agree with. You don't have to do that. You have to turn your attention to the, to that within you, which is already allowing, okay, and clear. And one of my favorite ways of doing that is a method you talked about a couple times ago, which is tune into the fact that other than inside your own mind, there are no words in nature. There are no judgments in nature. You know, the, the coyote is not judging the raven and saying, oh, he really is a squawking pretty poorly, you know? Uh, so looking at things outside of words, which are basically dualistic descriptions of things, can be a very simple way of, of entering into that world. And is, of course, always available if we can not take our mind so seriously. Any last words about how to overcome this dualistic lens that we tend to look at the world through? It's hard to come up with words when the last thing we talked about was wordlessness, um, which I think you were is, already floating away. I could tell <laughs> already floating away into wordlessness. It's it's lovely. I don't know. I think we covered it pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would I would have our listeners look to see at how their mind does this. Just kind of 
you know, focus on. It's called the Overcoming Dualism Challenge until our next episode. You know, you start to become more aware of it and not take it so seriously because you're now like, oh, yeah, that's interesting how it does that. And focus on something that helps you to overcome that um, that way of looking at things, whether it be service or books or the podcast or uh, forgiveness or awareness practices, so many different ways, wordlessness, etc. And um, tell us how it goes. We'd love to hear your success stories. And speaking of success stories, um, we're very appreciative that people keep giving us small donations to our Patreon page that helps to support us and pay for the podcast. And if you're interested in doing that, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash awareness explorers. And you get a bunch of freebies from us, from guided meditations to blog posts to other goodies for as little as a dollar a month. It's all on that page. and. Um, you get some extra meditations, but I hear that you have a overcoming dualism meditation all lined up for us, Brian. I do. Yeah, I have one planned. I, I call it the yin-yang meditation. I love the yin-yang symbol. It is such a perfect symbol that those two nesting black and white shapes in a circle, and each one has the opposite dot, the opposite color dot in the middle of it. I think it's it's one of the most sublime and exquisite symbols ever ever created. And although I call this the yin-yang meditation, I actually don't men mention yin-yang during the meditation, so I thought I'd just talk about it a little up front. But uh, anyway, here goes. First, take a nice, easy, deep breath and relax. Close your eyes if it's safe to do so. This is a meditation about the unity of opposites. First, we'll start off with some ideas for you to imagine and ponder. Then we'll move on to a more experiential approach. Play with these notions. Nothing can exist without its opposite. There's no such thing as a one-sided coin. There's a head side and a tail side, but it's all one coin. Up cannot exist without down. Right cannot exist without left. Inside cannot exist without outside. Top cannot exist without bottom. Inhaling cannot exist without exhaling. It's all one process of breathing. Now let's play with some of these in your actual experience. Remember a time when you were talking. Who experienced yourself talking? Were you aware of talking? Notice that the experience of you talking appeared in awareness. Now remember a time when you were listening. Who experienced listening? 
notice that the experience of listening appeared in awareness. Ask yourself if the experience of talking and the experience of listening appeared in the same field of awareness. Imagine talking and listening appearing simultaneously in a single field of awareness. They're both infused with the same awareness. Imagine talking and listening merging into one. Remember a time when you were moving. Walking, playing, dancing, exercising, whatever. Who experienced yourself moving? Were you aware of moving? Notice that the experience of you moving appeared in awareness. Now remember a time when you were resting. Who experienced resting? Notice that the experience of resting appeared in awareness. Ask yourself if the experience of moving and the experience of resting appeared in the same field of awareness. Imagine moving and resting appearing simultaneously in a single field of awareness. They're both infused with the same awareness. Imagine moving and resting, merging into one. See if you can notice how your body feels inside. Maybe you can sense your heartbeat or your breathing. Maybe there are emotions coursing through your inner world or thoughts running through your inner mind. Who experiences your inner world? Are you aware of your inner world? Notice that the experience of your inner self appears in awareness. Now notice the outside world. Whatever you consider to be outside of your body or yourself, as you perceive yourself to be. Who experiences the outside world? Notice that the experience of the outside world appears in awareness. Ask yourself if the experience of your inner self and the experience of the outside world appears in the same field of awareness. Imagine your inner world and the outside world appearing simultaneously 
in a single field of awareness. They're both infused with the same awareness. Imagine the inner and the outer worlds merging into one. See if you can notice how you experience yourself, whatever you take yourself to be, whatever you call I. Who experiences the sense of yourself? Are you aware of the sense of yourself? Notice that the experience of the sense of yourself appears in awareness. Now think of others, whatever or whomever you imagine others to be. Anyone or any being other than yourself. Who experiences others? Notice that the experience of others appears in awareness. Ask yourself if the experience of yourself and the experience of others appear in the same field of awareness. Imagine yourself and others appearing simultaneously in a single field of awareness. They're both infused with the same awareness. Imagine yourself and others merging into one. Who or what experiences I? Who or what experiences you? Imagine you and I appearing in the same field of awareness. The awareness without which neither you nor I could be experienced. the one field of awareness that infuses the sense of I and the sense of you. Imagine I and you merging into one. One humanity, one world, one universe.
one universal consciousness, one infinite being. Now, take another easy, deep breath. And when you're ready, open your eyes. That was interesting because um, we can talk about oneness, but to go through each thing and then see how they're all part of awareness uh, is a very different experience than just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but it reminds me of what you said earlier about the mind and the heart. Mm -hmm. We can shift our attention every once in a while from the mind to the heart. Yeah, it's just a decision. It's just a slight shift. Yeah. Or from the foreground to the background. And realize it's all one background. I love the phrase, the ground of being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, listeners, find what works for you to connect all the disparate parts the mind sees and know that they all are part of the same stew. Yeah. One taste. <laughs> one taste. <laughs> Until next time, enjoy yourself and keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love. Let's see if I can use my mind to just watch this dynamic and the <laughs> underlying unity. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think this is one of the points that um, Jeffrey made. It's you start with the mind. Yeah. The mind actually triggers the seeking, the search, the activity, but it doesn't end with the mind. It shifts from the mind, you know. Mm -hmm. So the mind is it needs to be there to say, wait a minute. I feel crappy. I don't want to feel crappy anymore. What can I do? Maybe I can meditate. Maybe I can do awareness practices. Um, and then once you start, then you have to let go of the mind. You have to realize that you are not the mind. And you don't have to believe it all the time. Well said. You might include that. Oh, maybe I should stick that in somewhere. Sure. Mm-hmm.